Are you sitting there right now using a PC with an overpriced operating system while you eat unhealthy ramen? Well, I apparently have all of the solutions to your life. Go to Vite Ramen right now and get their healthy protein-filled ramen for 10% off with offer code BROKENSILICON. And then go to cdkeyoffer.com to get 25% off all Windows keys and use DieShrink to get 3% off everything else on the website. And we'll talk about these sponsors more later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, showing no symptoms, Tom, and I am joined today by my co-host, Sick Dan. <laughs> yeah, and what it, I mean, you, you you've got COVID right now. Everyone who's listening has probably gotten it once, and if not, I don't think. I think we're, we're past the point of time where we can just say we've gotten it, and you don't have weird it, people it, blame you, right? <laughs> Yes, except for the the really, really weird people uh, that really uh, want to be high and mighty. But <laughs> well, you know what was it? I don't blame anyone for catching COVID. C- certainly, nobody can tell you when Thanksgiving was, but that was two weeks ago, and we didn't. I mean, we went out a couple times, but we didn't go to any of the most crowded places I've ever been at all. So. Who's to say, you know, where you got it? At least right now, me and Emma, my girlfriend, aren't showing any symptoms. But if anyone notices Dan's voice is uh, a little wet, worn, it is indeed because he's sick. So, and if my <laughs> and if my uh, commentary is off this episode, I apologize. I don't feel that cloudy, like uh, like the symptoms of COVID are typically described, but. You know, I'm still t- a bit tired, more tired than I usually am. So, yeah. And if you start falling asleep, I have my mom's number. She'll come down and just slap you or something. I think that'll work out. That'll be a good uh, solution. <laughs> I mean, I almost hope you do fall asleep. That could get us some views. Um, well, those uh, apparently uh, people pretending they're sleeping live streams are very popular on TikTok as TikTok collectively rots the world's brains. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, pretending. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to prove that they're pretending oh. that they're sleeping, but like, Are yeah, they in they, bed. Yeah. Okay. But well, you said pretending, so you think a lot of the time they are pretending. Yeah. <laughs> a uh, Twitch streamer uh, a while back said she gets the most views when she is sleeping, and that's how she makes her money, I guess. <laughs> this is what the world is turning into, you know. I feel like every generation, like the older generation goes, I don't get why these people like listening to the radio so much and then rock music and comic books and the video games. Am I wrong? People paying to watch people sleep is just different than complaining about rock music. It is getting weird. It's getting weird. I'm not going to go here and criticize what, whatever music trends younger people are into. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but this this is different than rock music, I think. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, though, if you go back into the 1800s, there were some bizarre activities 
people were into that we just don't talk about anymore. So who knows? Maybe this will just be filed under those things that like only get brought up in craft articles or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. five things you didn't know people did in the 1880s. It's just like they would race beetles sometimes or see how long they could bounce a stick on their nose. I guess that's not really that difference. Well, fighting beetles is still a thing that is semi-popular, apparently. So, Right. So I guess that's not... We'll leave it at that. <laughs> so the first reader mail I want to get to is actually one that was sent to us, uh, a real physical one. And I believe this is from Carbon Cry, who is now a contributor to... Well, basically, was part of the Moore's Law's Dead team for years, but now is like officially a paid member of the team. And I have a note here. Fortunately, it missed you, Dan, by like a day. You couldn't see it, but I'll be seeing you for Christmas if you're still alive. So maybe I can show this to you then. But (laughs) he said he couldn't find a way to get Czech beer into the United States. So instead, he sent us a pin that is, I believe, the Czechoslovakian flag. And an American flag right there. <laughs> so that's nice. And I have seen that already because I do always glance at any reader mails we are sent before the show just to make sure I'm not going to pull out a Open. severed head or something. Let me see. <laughs> it, but, it, this becomes the plot of seven. Right. I don't want that to happen without me knowing it's going to happen ahead of time. Um, a Czechoslovakian cookbook. Well, I don't know if I mentioned this enough on the show, but I actually cook quite a bit. I'll be making chicken parmesan tonight. I've gotten into, and I'm actually part Czechoslovakian. Gerard, I mean, uh, Carbon, Gerard's another member of the team in Europe. Uh, Carbon Cry, I think I will be using this. You know, after we're done recording, I'm going to go show Emma this book, and she is going to flip out. And have now, is it in? Is it it in, is in English, but I believe okay. there are parts of it in Czechoslovakian, or if I just double check it shows double check yeah it it shows how to say and some of them like the titles in check but the instructions and are in english okay well that that was a weird thing that uh working in labs i've experienced because there's a lot of foreign people and that work in labs and uh i can read protocol certain protocols in japanese because i worked with a japanese guy you know this is this is such a that, that happens though. I remember hearing that like during the PlayStation 2 era, Sony was so really just arrogant about their lead in the market that they would send dev kits with Japanese instructions. And remember, this would have been in the 90s. Um, so this wouldn't have been when the Google Translate was easily accessible or even really there. And they would just say, yeah, I don't know, figure it out. And then they'd have to hire translators or just start learning Japanese to program games on the PS2. And if they complained, they were like, oh, you certainly can put it on the GameCube if you want. (laughs) But uh, so this is not the first time I've heard of something like that. And of course, thank you to Carbon Cry for sending this set of Christmas presents here. And, you know, just another welcome to being a truly official member of the team. He's been helping out with the notes for a bit here. Now he's, if there's more detail in the episodes, it is because we have a Patreon that allows us to pay people that allows us to keep uh, improving quality. Um, But let me now move on to a reader mail from amiable chief writes and says, Tom, how long before Jesse can do this? And I'll actually have Gerard put on screen the uh, video. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it before we started, Dan. It is, well, it can only be described as a Belgian Melanois starting to like walk across a platform, jump up pillars, walk across a wall, 
tightrope walk. And then it really starts getting crazy when this dog starts doing a handstand. Uh, <laughs> and Amy Bill Chief asks, how soon until Jesse can do this, which is, of course, my dog. And I'm going to be honest with you. I actually think a significant portion of the beginning of that she can do. She can totally walk across tiny little things. Actually, my previous dog, Reese, could too. She could like walk across little platforms and do. She wasn't part Melanois to my understanding, but she could do some really acrobatic tricks. I guess I have a connection to dogs that can do that because I keep adopting them. But no, Jesse could do pretty much everything besides when you start expecting her to go up ladders and do, I mean, the handstands, I don't even know. Um, (laughs) So I guess what I'll say is I don't think I will ever try to teach her to do those things, but I honestly don't have really a doubt that she could do them. You've met her a million times, Dan. She can do absurd acrobatic jumps and climb things. Yeah, I I mean, my dog Wendy is also pretty agile, despite the fact that she's also insanely goofy. So I think I could, I think I could train her to do a lot of, of agility stuff too. But, uh, I have to balance that with her fear of anything that like inanimate object that moves or something. Cause that freaks her out. Like once I sent Tom a video of her scared of like, a like a little chicken weather vane thing that was like, had like propeller wings on it. And that just terrified her. Yeah. And there have been random times where Dan's dog has like seen something kind of move and then just refused to be in that room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like to the point that it's like, okay, but like if this was alive, why are you scared of it? It's a 20th your size. Nobody can explain dogs, Tom. You know, no, no one knows. Maybe she actually, because she's not afraid of like squirrels or anything, maybe she's legitimately afraid of like robots coming to life or something. She, she's very susceptible to the uncanny valley. <laughs> and she's like, that shouldn't be moving. That's a demon. I'm leaving. <laughs> um, all right. Now we do have one correction here, uh, which was actually several. Oh, no, wait. Let me see. Yeah, one correction here from QH Freddy. He says, in Broken Silicon... 232, you go over some of the historical comparisons of Intel and AMD laptop efficiency. In particular, that Tiger Lake was more efficient than Cezanne, and that it is surprising that Rembrandt kept up with Alder Lake in efficiency. I'd like to push back on those notions just a bit. Firstly, the trajectory of efficiency and the battery life under low load, so light programs like Word, Excel, and browsers, for laptop CPUs should be considered separate from the efficiency of doing Cinebench or Blender runs. Well, yeah, I'd argue that in the latter, AMD, even with Zen 1, was doing favorably uh, well in efficiency against refresh lakes. Well, agreed, QH Freddy. If under heavy load, yeah, I mean, I think since Zen 1, AMD's efficiency has been right up there with Intel. Um, but I, when I talk about efficiency, I talk about a combination of that and usage and not one or the other Intel likes to always talk about idle power, low usage power, because that's where they tend to win. And AMD likes to talk about the other. I don't have a direct formula to quantify it, but when you, when I talk about efficiency, I'm talking about both with my own really qualitative thought about which one's more important in the combination. Isn't that really how you think about it when you talk about efficiency? Yeah, I, I, um, it does heavily depend on the individual user, I think, which one matters more. Because like, if you're not using at your computer for a lot of CPU-intensive tasks, yeah, the idle power probably does matter more. Or idle or low power usage pro- and efficiency probably does matter more. Um, 
especially when you're talking about laptops, because the overlap of people that aren't doing intensive labs and people that, uh, I mean, tasks and people that own laptops is probably a lot more significant than people that like own desktops. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he says AMD could not compete in core count with Intel's offerings and was not able to reach those extreme clock speeds. So while the efficiency was good, the performance class was lower. The situation today is similar because of the number of cores Intel puts in their laptop chips, six or even eight P cores, as much as 16 E cores and AMD with only eight cores won't reach the same performance. No, but AMD now puts 16 cores in mm-hmm. laptops, right? So, you know, he, I think his overall point though, is he's saying Intel practically stood still since Broadwell depending on how you talk about their laptop efficiency and AMD's infinity fabric made some of their power savings abilities. They they just weren't there. Um, So, you know, I, 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 what I would say QH Freddie is yes, maybe I should clarify what I mean when I say that Intel um, had an advantage, an advantage in efficiency um, until like, I don't know, now, basically, in laptop. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you know, I I think that was when me and you talked about it. The point was that Intel couldn't, AMD couldn't really claim they were winning. And now I just think they can on laptop efficiency. And mm-hmm. I think since Rembrandt, frankly, it was, well, it depends, right? You know, I think there were blips where Renoir was clearly better. But I think Ice Lake and Tiger Lake made up some ground. Don't you? Yeah. I, I mean... Okay. And then it wasn't until about now where I think I think you can just safely say AMD is more efficient in laptop on average. Yes, I'm sure it's still an idle. You can find scenarios where <laughs> Intel is, but like, you know, again, uh, again, our point, QH Freddie, simply was that Tiger Lake allowed Intel to still kind of claim that they had an efficiency advantage, you know, in as Ryan Trout would say, real world usage. Um, but point taken. All right. Now, let us move on as quickly as we can so that Dan doesn't fall asleep, (laughs) as I feel like that conversation would have made even someone who's not sick fall asleep eventually. With story number one, AMD Zen 4 Threadripper reviewed and released. All right, here's the write-up. A couple weeks ago, unfortunately, right as the latest news episode of Broken Silicon was releasing, AMD released their first non-pro Threadripper lineup since 2019. In summary, the Threadripper... The Zen 4 Threadripper lineup consists of a $1,500 24-core, a $2,500 32-core, and a $5,000 64-core. And all of these are rated for 350-watt TDPs with four memory channels. If you want the eight-memory channel variants or the 96-core variant, you're going to have to try to find the pro models, which basically aren't gettable by civilians right now. (laughs) And so, yeah. The professional performance is impressive with Zen 4 Threadripper, but honestly, the gaming performance, at least in my opinion, is actually quite disappointing. Say what you want about the point of Threadripper, that it's not really for gaming, but I remember the days when Zen 2 Threadripper really didn't lose any gaming performance in exchange for its multi-threading gains. And thus, if Threadripper non-pro is once again a compromise in some form of performance, like it was with Zen 1 or Zen Plus, then what's the point? Why wouldn't someone just buy Pro if they're not also going to use this to game significantly amount of the time? And thus, to quote Wendell at Level 1 Text, are you really just buying this for a hobby and to have fun with at home? Or are you buying this because you make a little bit of money? But okay, if you make a little bit of money and you can afford Threadripper, why wouldn't you just go for the Pro? Look, AMD has really knocked it out of the park once again with this generation. They really have. But I can't, and again, this is Wendell at Level 1 Text, 
can't help but worry that this isn't going to get the fanfare it deserves because at this point, AMD is just a relentless execution machine, and that's what's expected. Nobody celebrates when AMD releases something that wins. And so there you go. Threadripper wins, but it is funny in my opinion, and I guess also in Wendell's opinion, how many people expected AMD to win so much now that it's apparently not exciting if they win. And additionally, one has to wonder if there's any point in non-pro Threadripper if it's going to cost as much as old Epic platforms anyways, or even some current Epic platforms. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. I, that that write-up I put together there kind of tried to say two things, like, or really three things. Number one, it wins. It does win. Of course it wins. But the fact is we all expected it to. So whether it's fair or not, I don't think anyone's sitting, like celebrating well, I mean, it. At this point... Threadripper just fe- and uh, Epic just kind of feel like they're usually doing, they're usually lapping Intel at this point, where the desktop market is at least closer to uh, uh, tit for tat. <laughs> yeah. And so, okay, this has always already been the case for a while. They've been dominating Workstation for a while. And so I think it is fair to say that, at least in my opinion, what would have made this interesting is if it could at least maintain gaming, you know, dominating performance outside of X3D, of course. But mm-hmm. um, although I was honestly wondering if the amount of cash on the IO die may have made some games kind of perform like an X3D chip, because we kind of saw that with Zen too. Like I'll yeah. have Gerard sell this, show this again. I, he probably did in the write-up, but I'll show it on screen one more time. I remember Zen 1 and Zen Plus Threadripper really did not game as well standard Ryzen. They did not, like especially Zen 1. Um, Zen Plus made up some of the ground, but it was Zen 2 where it was like, oh my God, it's like beating the 3950X half the time in gaming. And that kind of made you go, I know this isn't for gaming, but wow, I guess AMD can charge as much as they want because it really just does win everything. This Threadripper does lose in gaming performance quite a bit compared to Ryzen, even the non-X3D variants. And so I just, with how much it costs, have to go, I just... Call me a jerk. I don't know what the point is. Just get a workstation chip because it is already costing as much. Who is going to spend three thousand, you know, fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred, five thousand dollars on something and not just splurge for the big one, anyways? Yeah, I, I mean, I see your point, uh, but Am I, maybe uh, I'm just being too pessimistic here. I mean, uh, I'm Pro, looking for the interesting take, but that's I think what I think. If I'm remembering correctly, Pro won't be available to the DIY market, correct? Oh, it, it's it will. I just it, it will. Okay. I don't think in. You know, I don't think it will in high volume until like late quarter one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so it almost feels like this is like a release to satiate the do-it-yourself market while they fill Lenovo orders. Honestly. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it it seems relatively like it's a prosumer platform. Which, if it's that, it would be ideal if it at least held up against like I don't know the seven nine fifty X, which it does in some games and it doesn't in others. So. But when That's, it doesn't, it really doesn't. Yeah, so that is a problem, I, I suppose. I mean, once again, I do think anybody buying this, I, I hope you're at least semi-professional in whatever you're doing and making, uh, I, I don't know, at least like 20 grand a year off of this thing or something, because I don't see why else you would buy something like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not meant for gamers, and it's really not meant for gamers when you compare it to like, uh, yeah, Zen 2, which was... Uh, Zen 2 Threadripper was notably Legendary. impressive. I mean, yeah. Look, if you need all the threads, then get Threadripper, but you probably want Pro anyways. And so 
my real takeaway is I don't need to go through all the benchmarks. <laughs> it it's crushes like, what you thought it was going to crush. And I think it's not a, an HEDT platform. I think it's a workstation platform. Yeah, it's just like if you have the money to splurge on it and you're running like rendering simulations, whatever those tasks are, you probably have, should get Threadripper if you have the money. It's, I mean, if you're doing simulations, once again, hopefully you have a decent budget and a 4090. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just. Oh, that's just where the market is right now. And there's not really anything to discuss about the competition because there's not that much competition in that sector of the market. There could be, but could in be, its current yeah. form, they require you to have like a 1500 watt power supply and the thing is full of issues. <laughs> and so until Emerald Rapids comes out or the Emerald Rapids version of uh, their workstation platform comes out, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, AMD just wins by default. That's why they can charge so much. But you know, when I hear reports from Hardware and Box, which in their Threadripper review they talked about in detail, and I also hear from my own sources, they don't care about Threadripper because it's too expensive. No one buys it anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to go, you know, when did RTX 4070 sales pick up? They picked up the most when they dropped the price after the 7800 XT came out. Mm-hmm. Right. So shouldn't have NVIDIA just charged that much the whole time because they would have... I mean, there, there's an argument here. Like some of these companies, I understand the point of view of we're in charge. We can charge whatever you, we want. Right. But people might not buy it. Like I know that you don't have competition, but you're not selling it because it costs too much. And maybe you can't justify it. You want to send these yields to Epic. But then I go, don't make it. I I, I don't, I, you know, I like there is something going on here where the domination, like sometimes NVIDIA has in some segments of graphics, the domination AMD as in some segments of CPU, like they're almost getting in their own way by thinking they can charge whatever they want, which they can, but then they won't buy it even if you don't have competition. Yeah, because people people have limited budgets for most things. So the idea that you can just keep increasing forever. Now, you'll always have some number of buyers no matter what you price something at, but that decreases exponentially over time. And... Yeah, eventually no one is going to buy like a forty seventy, even if they if they charge like six hundred fifty dollars for it, mm-hmm. or this if they charge like ten thousand dollars for it. People just get older equipment, I think. So Dave Schultz writes and it says, "I gotta admit, after your last broken silicon, which was two hundred and thirty three, I totally agree with you that we need an X seven ninety chipset with more PCIe lanes and maybe even support for Pro Ryzen CPUs like a twenty four core that I desperately want to become a reality <laughs> that you talked about. This can bridge the gap between Ryzen and Threadripper for prosumer who loves to game, but also may do CPU rendering, physics simulations, video encoding, or just need tons of M dot two storage or additional PCIe cards. What's your current opinion if that will ever happen to AM?" especially considering your guest opinion in the last broken silicon 50 50 i i I don't really see the evidence that they're going to do this in the short term with zen 5 Mm -hmm. but if intel really lit up the competition here i i I could see it happening uh with zen 6 or with a a zen 5 refresh that they just kind of make a new generation if they want to because they could you know if, if zen 6 was slipping to 2026 they could easily justify some Zen 5, Zen 5C X3D as just a full new generation after 116 core with no X3D. But right now, I don't really see the evidence of that happening. And at least, as you'll see in the next story, I'm not seeing the evidence that Intel's really lighting a fire under AMD right now. Yeah, I, I mean, 
hopefully we start seeing increases in core counts and CPUs again from AMD, but I don't know. There's just not there's just no pressure for them to actually, you know, put more IO and everything into their uh any of their motherboards because or, or their platforms because Intel's just a generation behind constantly. Mm-hmm. And the final thing I want to say about this is, you know, I think there will be some people hearing our Zen Four Threadripper coverage, which is a just as James Pryor said, the previous uh, guest on the last Broken Silicon. You know, let's be very clear before we're critical of AMD. This was a clean kill shot to the head victory, <laughs> which it was. It yeah. was by AMD, but. When you hear me sound so negative about what was a grand victory for AMD here, you have to understand that like it's not really a matter of like me trying to have a hot take or being mad that things are expensive. If I'm hearing from my contacts at retailers, at motherboard manufacturers that they don't care about this product because it doesn't make them any money, and then I hear from hardware and box that support for even Threadripper Pro Zen 3 was so bad that the software just didn't work, then I'm here saying I think it's even good advice for AMD to not bother with non-pro if it's not making enough money to even warrant good software support. And that would probably be far, far easier for AMD to outline some X790 chipset. Maybe it uses three of those Promontory 21s or they come up with a Promontory 22 that they use three of. That gives you, again, maybe enough for like 10 M.2s, two times 16 GPUs. If they have some way of like turning, you know, some of these lanes into duplicating them or splitting them, that's fine. But I think AMD has to outline what the standard is so that there is a standard for OEMs, uh, well, OEMs and uh, motherboard makers to follow because I suspect the software writing for just adding another chip to <laughs> AM5 <laughs> will be far easier to do. And this will lead to like $600 motherboards, not $1,000 motherboards. Then you can just launch a $1,000 CPU and it will be cheap enough to have a market share that warrants good support. And otherwise, it's just kind of a bad product if the software isn't good enough because it's not worth even writing. Yeah, and then it just gets to a point where they're also... With the existence of so many uh, different lines above, like their desktop uh, line of CPUs, it starts to get to a point where they're cannibalizing each other. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, one thing that I liked that James Pryor said, though, is he goes, "You know, uh, worrying about segmentation and cannibalization of your own products too much is really only useful for Excel simulators for bean <laughs> counters." Like if he, he made an interesting point, I'm curious what you think about this, Dan. Um, he said, if you cannibalize your own product that it's selling so you know, well that you can't keep it in stock and sales of one other product are suffering, aren't you glad that you're doing that to yourself instead of the competition? I mean, it's better than it's certainly better than having your uh, your competitor outcompete you. It's just confusing, and it would the company would probably be more efficient if they didn't do that. Right. And so, yeah, I guess I'll say this. When people go, well, they don't they don't want to launch an X790 chipset for AM5. They don't want to launch a 24-core to AM5 because they don't want to cannibalize Threadripper sales. I would just go, Threadripper is already cannibalizing Threadripper Pro. So, mm-hmm. like, I think you are just missing what the product that the people actually want, which <laughs> is they want to be able to make a $4,000 PC that is 
50% more cores and double the I.O. compared to a $3,000 PC. They don't want to be pushed to spend for an $8,000 PC instead of a $10,000 one for all this crap they don't need. That's just yeah. the argument I would make. And um, and it sounds negative, but it's like, again, you know, if Zen 2 Threadripper won gaming, even over the 3950X much of the time, which means that it's not just gaming. There are certain apps that benefit from low latency that prove that Threadripper was just the best at everything and did firmly cost in between a crazy workstation or Epic and consumer, even though it was expensive, meaning it really is the do-all platform. Mm-hmm. Threadripper non-pro right now is not the do-all platform. It does suffer in latency. It does like, and it does cost much closer to it. And so it just doesn't, I just don't think its existence is warranted as impressive as it is. Cause at a, and yeah, and at a certain point you can brag about winning, but your chip, if your chip, if your 96 core costs $10,000, it's like, I hope it wins. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I'm sure if NVIDIA made a $10,000 graphics card, it would win too. But I don't know if we could really call it a Titan if it's 10,000. This is mm-hmm. just a professional chip. Um, yeah, actually, that's a good comparison. If the Titan costs $10,000 or if even 5000 I don't know that you can call that prosumer. It just costs too much to even be prosumer. Um, well, yeah, that's not that. Anything above like five grand, I think, would be not prosumer anymore mm-hmm. but uh or even close to it sometimes i'd argue but yeah. all right that's my hot take i'm sure no one will disagree with us in the comments about it and, and you do, don't comment no i'm kidding please <laughs> comment as much as you can it only helps um but uh and then tell everyone on reddit to comment too so they can drive the channel to get more subscribers because <laughs> that's all it ever seems to do by the way haters but um all right let us move on uh speaking of hating let us move on to story number two Feeling like you're imprisoned by ridiculous pricing on Microsoft software? About to give up on finding reasonable prices for stuff you're basically just forced to use? Well, there's no need to do that. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com during their Black Friday sale. This piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com and their Black Friday sale. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, office products, or even many of the latest games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product that I Honestly, just think this community needs to balance out all the nickeling and diming going on in PC gaming these days. And that's fair pricing on essential Microsoft operating system and office software that you just basically have to use whether you want to or not. There's no need to overpay for everything when you can save money on some of this stuff. And you know, the Moore's Law Z team has been working with CDKeyOffer.com for a long time, uh, and we still do. Whether it's me and Jesse's desktop, my girlfriend's gaming PC, or Dan's desktop, it's all powered by software we got for a reasonable price from cdkeyoffer.com. And you can join us and support the channel by using offer code BROKENSILICON to save 25% on Microsoft software, or you can use the code DIESHRINK to save 3% off everything else on the website like Steam, EA, or Ubisoft Keys. Using either of these codes helps Moore's Law is dead, and it saves you money. So support yourself and this channel by supporting cdkeyoffer.com with those offer codes today. All right, here we go. I don't know what happened, but it's starting to feel like the news episodes of Broken Silicon are turning into the Meteor Lake is in trouble cast, because I just keep having new pessimistic leaks to share every news episode, and this one unfortunately is no different. And I do mean, unfortunately, because go watch the channel a couple of years ago. I was incredibly excited for Meteor Lake and looking forward to potentially buying it. But 
Well, anyways, today we have more bad news to disclose about Meteor Lake. I've already hinted at performance curves I've seen with power that did not suggest Meteor Lake was as much of a efficiency uplift over Raptor Lake as I think they're portraying it. And I've finally been given the go-ahead to share one of these performance curves with one of my sources. And I want to do it now, too, because it is of a, I believe, final silicon. And if I put the Cinebench R23 score chart on screen, you can see a 6 plus 8 Raptor Lake sample benchmarked against a 6 plus 8 Meteor Lake sample at various uh power consumption levels and yes meteor lake wins at 45 watts by like i don't know it seems like eight percent and yes it keeps winning until about 100 watts but it only ever really seems to win between five to 15 percent of performance at same tdp versus raptor lake and in fact past uh, i don't know around 120 watts raptor lake wins and it starts to win by a decent amount at 160 watts thus demonstrating by the way why meteor lake is not coming to desktop it literally it wouldn't have just been underwhelming or not more performance it may have performed worse worse. (laughs) like that is just not this is not and people say well meteor lake's meant to be more efficient it's not fucking more efficient like from what i'm seeing here will Mm. there be scenarios where it is yes but if you make the argument that meteor lake is meant for efficiency and that's it it should always be more efficient. <laughs> That's or, all or, it's trying to do. Or it just can't accept more power or something. Like, because this is just embarrassing that, like, at, that from what I'm looking at, what it, performance just flatlines in Cinebench at what around 100 watts? That's terrible. Yeah. And so, look, some caveats. It is, of course, possible that before launch, which is actually by the time this comes out, will be like a week from now. Uh, some more gains yeah. might be made, but nobody I've spoken to, whether they are people working with Meteor Lake chips or people at Intel, expect greater than single-digit gains. And I can't say the exact number, but a separate source to some of the people that provided me this data, who is actually at Intel, told me that they are only claiming Meteor Lake is around... I, I can't say the exact number, but less than 10% more efficient than Rapture Lake under heavy loads. So like mm-hmm. some official outlines from Intel are saying a single digit perfor- uh, efficiency gain over Rapture Lake in many scenarios. So this is not some doubling of efficiency. This is not some massive uplift. I don't know. It's like 10% more efficient than Rapture Lake people. And uh, oh yeah, also note that this power curve was slightly modified. Like the data points I moved around here and there, but it it this is pretty close to what the curve looked like, or close enough that it gets the point across. I just wanted to make it clear that I changed a couple things there to make sure that my sources were protected. But uh, anyways, though, it does. Let me continue the write up. Um, it seems like under normal usage scenarios, Reader Lake is really not much more efficient than Raptor Lake, and indeed, the desktop level power consumption might be less. Although nothing is as damning as this, and then I also have a quote to show on screen I will now read. I want to confirm that your suspicions about the odd comparisons of Meteor Lake to Tiger Lake and Alder Lake are almost certainly correct. A presentation I just saw with Intel seemed to indicate that Meteor Lake's integrated graphics are 1.6 to 1.9 times faster than Raptor Lake, which means that they do need to mention old generations if they want to be able to firmly claim that they've doubled 
integrated graphics performance. So this was a major part of a recent video, and we talked about it on Broken Silicon, um, that I found it was so weird that a lot of internal documents I saw and the conversations I had with people at Intel about a year ago were that they wanted to, it, it actually it was at least double integrated graphics performance mm -hmm. at the same power consumption as Raptor Lake. And then now they have public slides saying, compared to Tiger Lake, we have roughly doubled graphical capabilities. I, I now have it confirmed, people. It's because they're not going to. They're not even going to double the graphical performance of Raptor Lake, which is often half the performance of Phoenix. And so that means Phoenix is likely to at least trade blows with Meteor Lake and in integrated graphics performance. Hawkpoint could very plausibly beat it. And Strix is going to fucking bury it. So I don't think it's any surprise why we're now seeing numerous reports come out from people like Dell and Asus showing Meteor Lake in laptops with dedicated graphics cards. And it's kind of seeming a little rare for consumer laptops with Meteor Lake to not have a dedicated card, it's because the Meteor Lake's integrated graphics are not strong enough to remove a dedicated card for enough scenarios. And in fact, if you actually look at what Dell's using it for, I believe the cheaper Alienware is going to use Raptor Lake, and it's the more expensive desktop replacements that use Meteor Lake, because Meteor Lake's at its best efficiency gain over Raptor Lake at like 90 watts. So it's actually probably going to end up in desktop replacement gaming laptops with a dedicated card half the time. This was not what Meteor Lake was meant for. It was meant to have I supreme mean, efficiency over the competition and not require a dedicated card. And it seems like it's at best shining in the opposite of what it was intended for. I mean, it was originally meant to essentially be a Tiger Lake replacement, right? It, it's supposed to be like Tiger Lake. Like, they catch up or even beat AMD and integrated graphics, which Tiger Lake at the time did win by, I believe, I believe yeah, about 20% yeah. over AMD, at least for a small amount of time. And yeah, it's supposed to be like in 15-watt notebooks that don't need a graphics card. That's not what I'm seeing here. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say at that that point. It's like parroting what I've said in the past. It's just like Intel always manages to disappoint at this point. And I mean, I don't know, I guess, I, I, I don't even think from what I'm seeing that like, it will be that great of a CPU for Dell in their Alienware lines because, you know, I, I mean, I guess in like an Alienware thin and light that might work well, but nothing else. Like that's not a desktop replacement CPU, really. Yeah, I don't know. No, I and so look, I think the one place where you're gonna see Meteor like do okay is like business laptops where it has that built-in, you know. AI performance mm -hmm. and it is business laptops rarely have a dedicated CPU, but they could, I mean, GPU, but they can always use more GPU performance than what Intel's been offering. They probably have contracts with Intel. So I think in the business sector, especially people with like long term contracts with Intel, this will be a more exciting launch than Raptor Lake was for sure, because it mm -hmm. fixes some of the issues, relatively speaking. But at least for, for OEM selling to consumers, they're not excited at all. Yeah. The amount of evidence I've had to receive to release some of this Meteor Lake stuff, like, I don't rush out to do these videos. But obviously, we'll get to Zen 6 in a second. It's because I think that's more interesting to do a dedicated video on. But, you know, another big part of it is I don't like making negative videos. I don't like talking about them. And that's why there tends to be these giant new leaks about Meteor Lake and Broken Silicon, because that's what I like. Well, I've got enough evidence. You don't want to spend 30 minutes of talking about <laughs> Intel sucking on a main video? No, and I don't want it to be true, but as 
it's it's kind of a coincidence every time but by the t- you know if i get some information and then i send out feelers to other sources like if this was a big deal maybe i'd rush it out before 20 percent of like so two out of 10 of them got back to me that's not the case here because i don't want to rush it out so by the time we get to a broken silk i've had so much feedback i'm like <laughs> i gotta talk about it. this seems double true and uh so i don't know i hope meteor lake ends up at least okay because i just want good products and that could only help consumers if there was more competition. But what I'm seeing here, I don't know. It kind of just seems like a more expensive Phoenix that came out a year late. It's really, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing it. And I, you know, I'm sure some people will respond to this video in the future. Like, look at this one review where Meteor Lake wins by 20% over Phoenix and efficiency or like crushes in this one thing. And it's or like this in 3D Mark, it beats Phoenix. And, and I'm sure that's not, I wouldn't count myself wrong in these specific scenarios because being a, I mean, Meteor Lake's supposed to be much better than that, guys. And, and I'm sure it, it, Meteor Lake will end up in good laptops to some extent because you have to look at the package holistically. But <laughs> that that doesn't mean it's itself a good part. But yeah, I think the most, again, damning thing, and one of the most damning things you can point out is in that, I believe in that, there'll be a link in the description, of course, everybody, but like, some article on WCCF tech talking about a leak of like meteor lake laptops from alienware if meteor lake was performing how you'd want it to you would think the entry level alienware has meteor lake and no dedicated card as the entry yeah. point because it'd be more efficient it should it was supposed to be at least 1650 ti performance it's not really sounding like that to me anymore and then as you go up the stack the top chip should be raptor lake but if it's not, that means Meteor Lake's really at its best when it's using more energy, not 150 watts, but from a laptop perspective, 95 watts is a lot for mm-hmm. a CPU and a laptop, I would argue. And apparently that's when it has the one of the biggest efficiency boosts over Raptor Lake. And it's just I, that, that, but it costs so much more than Raptor Lake. So it's really only going to be in like premium 4090 laptops. I mean, any budget laptop's probably going to go with Raptor Lake or hawk point because it costs less mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know that i have much else to say about this except that i just not good you know mm-hmm. i and i don't like having some big pessimistic meteor like leak every episode but it's just getting the, the evidence is mounting guys that this really is just so far below what they wanted to achieve well let's uh knock on wood and <laughs> hope that the next podcast doesn't have another meteor like leak in it <laughs> Um, I don't think it could, though. We'll see. We'll see, actually. I'm we'll thinking in the back of my head. That could happen again, actually. Uh, but moving on to really no better news for Intel with story number three. Uh, Intel Clearwater Forest confirmed to not raise core counts. Quoting from WCCF Tech, the Clearwater Forest Xeon CPUs utilizing the SkyMont architecture are said to offer up to 288 cores, which is the exact same core count as Sierra Forest chips. I don't know if they're exact SkyMont. We'll leave that alone. But the difference is that Clearwater Forest SP chips will offer more cores than Sierra Forest SP. Well, Clearwater Forest SP chips will peak out at the same 288 cores. IPC is said to increase decently, but no clear numbers were given. So really what I'm just doing here is I'm quoting um, some reporting on really mostly, I believe, if not entirely, Bionic Squash on Twitter, tweeting that Clearwater Forest AP, so the large socket version for mm-hmm. server, uh, has 288 cores, which is the same as Sierra Forest. Um, now, the SP smaller server socket version may have a higher core count, 
Um, so higher than 144 cores, if I'm remembering correctly, for Sierra mm-hmm. Forest. But that's it. No core counterclays. And, you know, I've been kind of, I've been sitting on this information for at least a couple of weeks now. I just, again, didn't think this was an interesting video to do until I could make it part of like a larger set of info. Uh, but I just wanted to throw it in here because cat's out of the bag. Bionic Squash on Twitter already said stuff that I've heard, which is clear out of forest, no increase in core counts over Sierra Forest. And that I will say that from what I hear, actually, in terms of her core performance is a mixed bag. Some people say it should be a decent uplift. Other people say that it's kind of just Crestmont or really, which is really just Gracemont again. So I'm not expecting some massive core perform per core performance. Over 20% would surprise me. And the core count isn't even going up. And this is going to, I believe, probably end up competing with... Venice, so great. <laughs> so more or less another Raptor Lake moment, except they take longer to get these things out. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, 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 from what I've heard, that that you know, AMD is expected to take a lot more market share with uh, Turin Dense against um, both Sierra the, what Forest. What are the core counts for Turin Dense supposed to be? One hundred and ninety-two Zen Five C. Okay, okay. three hundred eighty-four threads. Against yeah. what is effectively Gracemont cores. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so without hyper threading. So yeah, I, I don't think we need to dwell on this one that long, but I'm just jumping in to say, yeah, everything Bionic Squash said, I think is pretty accurate here. I do dispute a little bit if the performance per core is going to be that much higher, though, because that is not not consistent with what I've heard. Um, all right, PC Dog writes in and says, I was recently reviewing one of the mutual funds I invest in annual reports and the top holdings were companies like Google, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, and AMD. Way down the list was Intel. So far down that they were behind Micron and even a Canadian solar company. Let's not hate on the Canucks too much here. I mean, who, just because they're Canadian doesn't mean they can't be a good solar company. <laughs> but anyways, can, but if Intel calls itself some master of silicon, though, I guess, yeah, that is pretty bad if it's being compared, if it's below companies you've never heard of. Because can Intel turn things around before investors completely bail on them? I don't know. I mean, you just have to wonder, like, the fact that they, well, they have been dropping pretty precipitously, I guess, every, but the fact that some people are still betting on them every quarter is certainly interesting. I I, I don't know at what point the trend proves to be a rule of them failing to execute for those people, but. Yeah. I mean, look, Arrow Lake is, and Granite Rapids are going to have to be monsters. Like yeah. that is all there is to really say anymore, because if they're not, I mean, AMD is going to have gone through Hawk point and then Strix point and launching Strix halo by the time Arrow Lake's coming out and Turin will not be a slouch. So I don't I mean, I, I, go on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, it feels like if we were hosting this podcast in like 2015, this is what AMD would have felt like to us. So hopefully they, they can turn it around because right. Back in 2015, wasn't AMD at like $2 a share or something? Yeah. The only thing that worries me is it's like, are you? should we compare them to AMD in 2015 or AMD in 2011? That's true. You know, you know when it's always, they always say it's uh, darkest before the, the, uh, the dawn. <laughs> before the dawn. You know when it's also darkest? Still before it gets darker. Yeah. <laughs> because you never know when the bottom really is. And Bulldozer, AMD was in pretty hot water before Bulldozer came out. 
And then it came out, this thing that was a revolutionary new core design that was supposed to ramp up performance and efficiency and turn things around for the company. And it wasn't even better than the predecessor. Hmm. What is Intel about to launch that sounds just like that to me? Yeah, I know. But uh, anyways, let us move on to happier subjects then with story number four. Uh, Moore's Law said leaks Zen 6 32-core CCDs, Epic E, and modular designs with Venice. All right, so just last week, yours truly got some very interesting and specific information on Epic E, uh, a specific product line based on Zen 6. Together with information that has already been gathered and leaked previously by this channel, it fills in the pictures of what Zen 6 Venice could be. In summary... There is something called Socket SP8, which will support a Venice SP8, which should be the successor to Sienna's SP6 socket. So this is to say it goes Sienna, and then I believe Serrano, and then Venice SP8, which will probably get its own code name. And these are the smaller, more budget-friendly versions of Epic products. And then there's SP7 Venice, which comes after turn Zen 5. Uh, but then also there's this thing called Epic E, and I believe the E stands for Edge, for Edge Computing, that focuses on edge deployment and lower cost servers and shares the same I.O. Dyson core chiplets as the Venice SP8 chips. And there will be an entry-level model that goes up to 32 cores, a standard model that goes up to 64 cores, and both will support a network compute die. And then you can also swap out some of these 32-core chiplets for AI engine dies, FPGA dies, and presumably anything a customer could want to put in there. And yeah, indeed, the CCDs on multiple pieces of documents, and I've already said this, but it's shown again, and now it's schematics. There are 32 core unified chiplets for Zen 6, which is really exciting. And additionally, it seems like they can pair together multiple IO dies with Venice, with each IO die having four memory channels, 32 PCIe Gen 5 lanes, and 16 PCIe Gen 6 lanes, which means the entry-level one has one IO die, two chiplets. The standard one has two IO dies uh, for eight memory channels and so on and so forth. And then four chiplets. And presumably then, I believe the SP7 Venice could go up to one, two, three, four, four IO dies, eight <laughs> sets of chiplets for 256 cores and just more IO than I would never know what to do with. But I'm sure server people would know what they would do with it immediately. Um, although I will be honest, seeing this, there's a chance there's just two larger IO dies using Venice SP7, right? Maybe they just so that would do. be 128 then, right? E yeah. Well, no, it would be still 256, but maybe they oh, have a larger okay. IO die. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only reason I say that is some people I've talked to after showing these schematics to them thought, hmm, seems like it'd be a little hard to maybe do a design with four of those IO dies. And additionally, technically, every document that I received recently says Venice SP8 IO die almost like it's distinguishing that there is an SP8 version of the mm -hmm. IO die, right? That they are sharing with Epic Edge. So I can't promise you that they will share the same IO dice. I think it's plausible. I give it 50-50. But just know that generally speaking, this is kind of what Venice looks like. Multiple IO dies that can scale up or down with IO and memory channels with multiple CCDs. And some of those CCD designs are for 32 cores. Uh, finally, just as a reminder, we have already shown that Venice will use a mix of N3 and N2 nodes. I do think that this is the N2, 2 nanometer, CCD that is 32 cores. I think there could be a 16 core three nanometer variant that might be used with Ryzen. And we've also heard, I've never heard of a Zen 6C. Literally, to this point, not a single document says Zen 6C. What might be going on is really just two things, I think. Number one, AMD doesn't see a point in distinguishing between them anymore. Let's just say this is the two nanometer version. 
This is the three nanometer version. We think C hurts our marketing, so we're not going to say it anymore. That definitely it, does. Especially, by the way, when you point out that like Sienna has higher all-core boost clocks than freaking Sapphire Rapids. So <laughs> calling them C cores makes them sound weak. They're actually arguably stronger than Intel's big cores. So like, And they're certainly stronger than Intel's efficiency e- cores. <laughs> right, so making it easy to compare them, I think, is... Conf- and, and there's a lot of investor calls I've been on, like when I do some consulting work on the side, where they're like, oh, but Sierra Force goes up to 144 cores. How is AMD going to compete with that? This says only 128. And I go, they're e-cores. They're like half the performance. They don't even have hyper-threading. And they're just confused. If, if so, half the performance. Like the, the, yeah, I mean. so I mean, like I, I think that could be part of it. Uh, there's also just the chance that they're not really C anymore. Like, maybe they're denser, but maybe they're not clocked as much lower as you would think. Relative. Like, right now, Zen 5, or sorry, Zen 4 goes up to, like, almost 6 gigahertz with the standard Zen 4. Mm-hmm. And then the C cores mm-hmm. seem to really top out around 3 gigahertz. So it's, like, almost double the clock speed. I don't know, maybe Zen 5 is, like, 6 gigahertz or 5.5 gigahertz and 4 or 4.5 to the point that it's, like... That's fine. Clock- That's fine for most uh, CPUs. Like, you don't need every core to get to six gigahertz. <laughs> mm. So maybe the, the the clock speed difference is such that it's small enough that they don't see a point in it. it, it to be honest, it could be both. Mm-hmm. Like it's more converging in per core performance, but one's denser, but more expensive because it uses two nanometer to get there. Mm-hmm. But then also it doesn't help their marketing then even more so to do that. Um, but yeah, so that was the this part of the leak. I will get to another part of it soon. I mean, what'd you think, Dan? Oh, I mean... <laughs> You know, uh, we've been talking forever, and I think the not just us, the entire market has been talking about how modularity is going to come to the market more quickly. And uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like this is where it's finally happening in a big way, which is awesome. And uh, I don't know, I think uh, AMD's, this is where we're seeing AMD's purchase of uh, Micron. You mean Xilinx? <laughs> yeah, Micron. Xilinx, sorry, payoff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely part of it. Um, and I think um, on the one hand, I'm I'm almost surprised it took this long to get there because like yeah. Zen 5 kind of looks like, well, it looks like Zen 2, let alone Zen 4. <laughs> Physically, it does. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're also talking about, I mean, Intel go through an, a basically Alder Lake 3.0 releasing this year. And I can't help but say, it's slow but steady, you know. Like maybe it took them this long to get to this truly modular, crazy-looking server chip, but they have been releasing things on time, and maybe that's why they've been so careful to only do iterative steps the whole time. Well, yeah. that is why. I, I mean, the progression of Zen has been slow and steady, but it <laughs> it has been steady. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of what else there is really to say about this you know 256 cores on sp7 sp8's coming with at least up to i believe 128 cores if they want to i think sienna could support more than 64 and they're just choosing to limit it to that um and it's really interesting to see them go for bigger clearly right bigger chiplets that have a set size that's easily swappable with other bigger like 100 millimeter squared probably ai engine and other chiplets um I, I think it's gonna. We just talked about Clearwater Forest that should be coming out end of 2024 or like first half of 2025. I think if I even remember correctly, and that would suggest that Venice is launching within a year of that. I don't know how. Two fifty six cores, five hundred and twelve threads, 
you know, the cores will be at least 20% better than Zen 5, and we're still t- debating whether mm-hmm. Clearwater Force E cores are better, that much better than Gracemont or let alone Crestmont. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how Intel's going to compete with this. I mean, Diamond Rapids is supposed to be a killer, but at least on the E core side, it's not looking good. Yeah. Um, all right. QH Freddy writes and he says, Hi, Tom. Great insights as always on the Zen 6 video, but I do have something to nitpick. At the end of the video, you assert that Zen 4C can have better IPC than Zen 4, but then show AMD slide, an AMD slide comparing uh, Phoenix 2 that has 4C cores with Phoenix. That graph you are showing only showed the power efficiency, the power on the X axis, and performance on the Y. So there's no way to really derive IPC from this slide that you decided to show on screen because the differences in performance between these parts comes from clock speed. The text on the slide specifically mentions Zen 4C being better optimized for efficiency and size. Well, yeah, um, but look, I wanted to put a slide on screen that made my point. And I will freely admit that I could have probably worded what I said more accurately. But the point doesn't change. My point really is that I keep seeing people compare AMD's C cores to Intel's E cores. From people like James Pryor, who used to work at AMD, to people that I consult for. And these are smart people. And I can't help but go that this is a loser in marketing terms. And I think you saw AMD share this thing that maybe didn't show IPC, but I don't know. At a minimum, this shows there is zero lower IPC. And I think you could create a slide if you wanted to that shows in certain scenarios there's higher performance per clock because Mm -hmm. Tiger Lake had lower performance than Ice Lake in very specific scenarios. And so did Raptor Lake over Alder Lake. Guys, adding more cash doesn't always add more performance. In some scenarios, it actually causes more inefficiencies and latency because there's more cash you've got to go through. Uh, And I just think that what I'm saying holds true. But yeah, that slide really showed performance at the same power consumption. Technically not IPC, but I'm sure. But IPC is such an imperfect word. Almost always people are really talking about performance per clock. I can promise you there are some apps where at same clock speeds, not just at same power, at same clock speeds, Zen 4C beats Zen 4. And so calling it a cloud core, a dense core, anything else but just another big core, I think is silly. AMD's got to stop doing it. And I think they're going to. Yeah, and I don't know. I was just going to add the entire tech space probably uses the term IPC a bit too loosely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Basically, yeah. it just means performance half the time. But Yeah, and then the other half, they even mean performance per clock. But even that's not really IPC because, I mean, I'm not going to get into it. But, you know, all of this is to say that the point of that video was that C cores are not E cores, and people seem to think they are. But not only are they not E cores, Sometimes they're faster than P cores. So <laughs> you shouldn't be, and I've seen this, you shouldn't be, some people are like, well, I don't want any C cores in my products. Yes, you do if you want more performance sometimes. I mean, and, and again, AMD's got to get away from this marketing mistake they made. Um, yeah, they do. Well, I think they did it because they thought it was a big selling point of Intel. And, you know, well, the problem is Intel, that it isn't. <laughs> the problem is Intel has proven that, or has, I shouldn't say it's proven that they do nothing, hasn't proven that they do so has failed to prove to the market that they do something with the e-cores yeah. you know um all right let us now move on to a part of that video that i believe went under the radar story number five well it's that time of year again the time of costumes family friends 
and of course also eating lots of unhealthy candy and food. It's also simultaneously usually when most people are crunching to finish up the work they need to for the year before the holidays and while you're crunching, that usually means you're also likely to eat other unhealthy foods in between those bouts of eating unhealthy food with family and friends. Well, that's of course unless you eat Vite Ramen. This piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, including new flavors like Radiant Crab Roux, and also their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break that's sometimes away from home. Or they also have other healthy products like their Nano Boost Powder that makes any food at least a little healthy. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off a variety of products from Bite Ramen, like special bundles for Moore's Law's Dead Fans, Raw Nudes if you want to make up your own recipes with their noodles, and other food products, powders, and utensils, and more. They really are a plucky small startup that has been really good to Moore's Law is Dead for years now, and I also genuinely like their product. So if you want to support Moore's Law is Dead, try Vite Ramen, and you know, just clicking on that link in the description really helps a ton, but buying their product and using the Africa Broken Silicon, of course, helps the channel even more. Try Vite Ramen today. Zen 6 most likely will be supported on AM5. Now, I'm just going to quote myself from that same video we just <laughs> talked about. This is what Carbon Cry did while helping me put these uh, notes together. Well, Venice Epic products are going to be moving to new sockets, that is SP7 and SP8. I'm actually under the impression that Zen 6 will continue to use AM5 for consumer Ryzen products. Indeed, I'm led to believe that Zen 6 Ryzen will continue to be on AM5, although I'm not 100% sure, certain because none, and I do mean this, literally none of my contacts believe that Zen 6 will be moving to AM6, and after all, Zen 6 still uses DDR5, so there is likely not going to be a big reason to change consumer sockets. Even if PCIe 6.0 was relevant for Zen 6 Ryzen launches, AMD can update to a faster PCIe with that generation if they want to, just like they did with Zen 2 over Zen 1 and Zen Plus. Uh, it's the memory that's more important, and the memory support is not changing. It's still Zen uh, DDR5 with Zen 6, and so nobody says Zen 6 will be on AM6, and I see no physical reason for that to happen. And so I've seen a lot of content recently out there about people debating <laughs> if Zen 6 will be on AM5. My answer is almost certainly yes which I think is good news. Well, yeah, the only reason, and we touched a, a bit uh, on that on the die shrink we did this week, where where I was pre-sick me. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how it could be anything other than good news. I, I think AMD needs to offer three, as you put in the notes, real generations of support on their platform because people aren't going to buy that the 8000 series on desktop is. Or 9000, probably. I mean, people are people aren't going to buy that eight, the eight thousand series as its own bona fide line, even if they go to a different number. Oh, the, I see what you're saying. The APUs, okay. yeah. Um, and Zen five is its own generation, and Zen six is its own generation. So mm -hmm. that three, I feel like, is the minimum amount of support that they insinuated. So I think they have to go to with it. And the only reason I could really imagine them going to why you would want to go to a new uh, socket or is if DDR6 is way more fully supported by like what 2026 probably when this comes out yeah and, or and 2025 I think, maybe 
And by the way, just let me plug the Moore's Laws Dead Patreon here. If you want to hear us talk about this for over an hour, future motherboard support from AMD and Intel. There's a die shrink out there. $2 a month gets you access to that and a catalog of hundreds of bonus videos with no ads. But that's definitely there if you want to hear much more of this. But yeah, what I will say is um, I think that's such a good point, too. I think I did bring that up maybe in the video or or at least in that die shrink episode, which is that. All right, let's be honest right now. And this did surprise me because I heard RDNA 3 was trying to have RD, uh, PCIe 5.0 support, but it didn't end up getting it. So that means RDNA 4 and NVIDIA Blackwell will be like the first consumer generations to maybe get PCIe 5.0. Okay. Um, and then that means, I, I don't think we've, have we ever seen a generation or uh, in, in the past 10 years where AMD and NVIDIA launch a new graphics card gen and then they go to 3.0 and then 4.0 right away? I mean, no, they usually stick with a PCIe gen for years or for multiple gens, which means, mm-hmm. right. So I forgot, I think there's maybe a, a, uh, there's something here in the wrap up about possibly. Oh, I must have forgot to put it in there. I know that it's a. Uh, what heck? Let me pull it up right now. The um, wasn't it rumored what the next uh, generation of NVIDIA graphics cards is supposed to be? There it is, Vero Rubin or something uh, like Rubin. Maybe the next one after Blackwell. Like, like so. Let's say that we know Blackwell and RDNA four might be the first generations to have 5.0 in consumer. And then that's 20, late 2024, the earliest. And then that means that two years later, Ruben probably will still be 5.0 if I had to guess. So that means 2026, which is mm-hmm. a year after Zen 6 comes out, will still probably have 5.0 graphics cards. There's, I mean, yeah, there, there's no reason to bring 6.0 there. No products will be using this in consumers until well, until and, one or two gens after anyways. And in 2025, I don't think we're going to have GPUs really maxing out PCIe 5.0 16 lanes, where mm-hmm. fr- frankly, PCIe always seems to be a bit ahead of the IO of the rest of the equipment. It's like the exception of like Comet Lake or something. Yeah, <laughs> which contacts at Intel openly tell me I don't know why we waited so long for that one. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, I think this is exciting. Uh, let me see here. All right, uh, QH Freddy writes in and he says, "Would you bet a stick of DDR4 that AMD will bring C cores to AM5 in the next generation? What about on the non APU parts? Well, if you include APUs, yes, I bet they bring Little Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I think we already." Pretty firm rumors of that actually that they're bringing little phoenix c core parts uh with the ryzen 8000 series on am5 now do i think next gen they're going to bring c cores I-, I can't bet it yet it look if again if they wanted to I, from what i hear right now amd could launch a 24 core zen 4 where one of the chiplets is that 16 core zen 4c product uh or chiplet and it's up to AMD if they do that with Zen 5 or Zen 6. But um, I don't think I'm... W- will they do it eventually? I think I would bet yes, that before AM6 comes out, they will have had some C-core standard Ryzen part somewhere. But I'm just not ready to bet it yet because it doesn't seem like anyone really wants it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know whatever man writes in and says, Hello, you two. Do you guys think that dedicated neural processing units could become a thing in the future? Imagine that in the future, if you want to play GTA 7 or Red Dead Redemption 3, you'll need a PC with a CPU, dedicated GPU, and a dedicated MPU that's in a second PCIe slot. 
I find that very doubtful. I, I, I think the market would just resist something like that, and neural engines are probably just going to become a thing that are on CPUs most of the time. That's what I think as well. You know, at, at least so far, if you want to do dedicated AI work, I think you're going to have a workstation with an AI card that's much yeah, more expensive yeah, than a standard game. And I think if a developer was for GTA 7, which was that going to be in 20 freaking years from now? Um, I'm, I'm betting 2035. Yeah, maybe. That <laughs> might be when it comes out. Uh, but yeah, I mean... If you're a developer, you're, you've got to think of it this way. In, in, in the next five years, the majority of gamers are going to be using systems without AI engines or the PS5, which is also a system without an AI engine. And then after that, Xboxes and even possibly, arguably, PS4s. And, I mean, so we're talking about a situation where most gamers aren't going to have an AI engine. So if you're going to do AI work, it can't require a ton of horsepower or no one can play your game. And then if it does benefit from an AI engine, well, it's probably going to be like a standard 50 tops thing that's built into Strix or Arrow Lake or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Because for a developer to want to do something, they want to know that their entire user base has it. And the entire user base will not have a dedicated AI unit. And I think that means even if they use an AI engine in a game and you need one, it's going to be a weak one. Mm -hmm. And that will be in the CPU. Yeah. That, I, I, I just think the market has been moving towards simplifying everything for the past 20, uh, more than that, really, for the past forever. And simplifying I, I the number of parts you need. Yeah, and I, I don't think people will want to have to buy another card and possibly kill the like ITX platform too if they move to that as a standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just, you know, and again, like any of these AI processes they're going to want to do if you don't have an AI engine, again, it's going to kind of have to be below 50 tops so that like your Vega or 4060 can do it. And again, so that means it's going to be limited to that and there's going to be no need for a dedicated AI card for a very long time. I, I, I just don't think so. Um, could be wrong, but if I am wrong, I won't even be wrong for probably 15 years. So um, <laughs> let us move on then to the final story here, which is quite a spicy one, but heck, we're going to go with it. Uh, NVIDIA reports massive earnings, and more of it is AI than they're probably admitting. All right, so I'm going to start quoting here from WCCF Tech and then lead into my own write-up, or really me and Carbon Cry's own write-up. Uh, the research firm Omdia has dug deep into what Team Green was cooking during their Q3 2023, and it turns out that the results obtained will indeed shock everyone. It is disclosed that NVIDIA sold nearly, nearly a whopping half a million AI GPUs in the quarter, mainly consisting of Hopper H100 and Ampere A100. The sales volumes are a sight to see in the industry, and it has led NVIDIA to a position where it has inserted exerted dominance in the markets. NVIDIA plans to sell millions of GPUs in 2024, and at least according to some of these analysts like Amdia, it actually seems achievable. But is this the Fortnite boom all over again? Which for those who don't remember, NVIDIA sold way more cards than they would admit to miners mm. and tried to say to investors it was because of a Fortnite boom, and then they lost like, billions of dollars or at least millions of dollars in a big lawsuit over basically lying in their finances. So several outlets and multiple insiders are starting to sound the alarm that something fishy that is similar to what happened before could be going on again with NVIDIA, but this time with AI. NVIDIA is basically arguing right now that they are making record profits by providing the shovels for an AI gold rush and through still excellent gaming GPU sales as well. 
yet. There seems to be something going on with puppet companies moving GPUs around between elite partners headquartered in not-so-elite buildings. Check the links in the description. Some of these elite partners from NVIDIA like are like shacks and have tons of evidence out there also that many of the gaming sales are possibly just being smuggled into China and turned into AI GPUs to skirt sanctions. We have tons of pictures out there of people taking warehouses of 3090s or 4090s flashing them to an AI card, putting a blower cooler on there, and then saying they now have an AI card, when really it's all these cards NVIDIA is claiming gamers are buying. And it's not just pictures on that last one, by the way. We can also see in NVIDIA's financials themselves that they suddenly need to break out Singapore for 15% of their GPU sales out of nowhere in a year or so. They're just saying 15% of their global GPU sales are to Singapore right now? And Singapore is a... Very, very large country, right? <laughs> it's a small country. It's not important, but it's small. It was putting this all together. We see that, number one, there is blatant repurposing of gaming GPUs. Dozens of pictures, dozens of sources online stating that they are using gaming GPUs, not for gaming. And then there's obvious smuggling fronts, like going through Singapore. And I've mm-hmm. reported, I believe exclusively, that they were doing it through Hong Kong as well. And then number three... There are suspicious geographical volume locations, and at least at Moore's Law, that along with a growing list of other people online, are thus wondering just how big a proportion of NVIDIA's recent sales have been formed by AI sales, and how many of them are really just GPU sales, uh, are really are, and how many of these are even really being used for AI, because mm-hmm. we have all these weird, non-existent companies that just seem to be trading cards back and forth that nobody's using, and then a lot of the GPU sales don't seem to be being used for GPUs. And I actually want to pull up a quote here too, because uh, I have from one of my best sources, someone said, recently in meetings with NVIDIA, we've noticed a bit less confidence in their sales expectations for GeForce GPUs over the next few months. It seems like they thought those de facto price drops they've recently done would be more than enough to crush Radeon sales this holiday season. So when you see a 4060 Ti for $330, when you see a 4060 Ti 16 gigabyte for almost 400 or 4070 for $500, that is not that is Nvidia lowering prices behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and apparently they're not they're picking up in sales, but not by as much as they were hoping for. And so, keep in mind that this person is directly telling me that whatever you are seeing in Nvidia's financials about GPU sales is a major OEM. They are not what they are seeing on the ground. No OEM, no AIB, no retail partner that I speak to is seeing this surge of GPU sales that is reported in NVIDIA's financials. And at the same time, we have shell companies. At the same time, we have these companies smuggling cards into China that are clearly not being used for gaming. I don't know. You know, maybe this will turn into, you know, maybe I don't know something here, but I am in this list of people now that's starting to think something funny is going on in NVIDIA did this before with mining and the AI boom. I don't think they're selling as many cards to gamers as they're pretending they are. And I even think a lot of their AI sales may just be sleight of hand between a bunch of companies that practically don't exist. Yeah, I mean, they've done this before. I mean, you and I are both suspicious of the AI boom. I mean, (laughs) you compare them to uh, the shovel salesman of the AI boom, which... They, the, those they, double they salesmen are. made a lot of money uh, in the gold rush, but eh, the market's going to dry up eventually when people stop needing to buy new AI cards, which will happen eventually. Well, which not stop. Will. The market will be reach an equilibrium eventually, though. Well, and then this becomes a major point I have to make here. If 
these sales are as good as they're saying. Why are H100 prices going down behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. Why are GPU prices continuing to drop? Why are partners telling me they can't get rid of these 4080s? And why is NVIDIA preparing to launch a Super Series? A company that cannot keep their stuff in stock and has record gaming sales would not release price cuts. (laughs) So something's fucking going on, people. Like, it doesn't make sense that you can have record sales and yet there's warehouses full of cards no one wants. Something's going on. I don't know if it's as bad as it looks, but... It looks odd to me. All right, let us now move on then to the final wrap up. These are these stories that we don't that we didn't think deserved to be a main story, but we thought were worth talking about. Um, I guess one that I forgot to put on there. Uh, I'll just say it again: Vera Rubin is claimed to be by Copite the next um, code name for Nvidia's graphics lineup after Blackwell. I know. I mean, it's the person that said Lovelace would be four times the performance of Ampere, but at least I believe this was the first person to say Lovelace. I believe, Uh, you know, so I think this is probably likely, although I don't think we have a whole lot to say about the name of a graphics card lineup. Um, And then also this was kind of actually maybe this almost could have gotten a full story if we didn't have other stuff to talk about here. Um, I've been suggesting in consulting calls for a while uh, that when people say, when people see AMD's gaming revenue is almost flat, like it's down like single digit percentage, and yet re- like uh, gaming desktop revenue is up from there, like seventy eight hundred XT and so on and so forth. Margins are up on RDNA three, and then we have these reports out of Sony that PlayStation Five couldn't be selling better, and then they say semi custom revenue is down. Xbox is what I've always said is I think Xbox sales are down and some reports just came out as well that at least in Europe at a minimum, it's just over. Like There's just not Xbox is selling anymore. Whereas yeah. PlayStation five continues to ramp up in sales per quarter. I mean, yeah, I, I, I forgot we talked about PS five sales last uh, episode. I can't remember what the exact number was, but the PS five seems to be selling, I think on a course to probably reach, I don't think it will be as, big, as successful as the PS four, but I think it'll probably be around PS3, maybe. Oh, be, I think it's, it's definitely going to exceed PS3. Probably, and I guess the question is, will it exceed PS1? And it seems like it. I, 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 yeah, I guess I would. Be, if I had to bet, I would guess over a hundred million. But I don't know a lot more over one hundred million. So that's selling well. I mean, <laughs> and meanwhile, yeah. Xbox might undersell the Xbox One. Yeah, I know. Which. I'm not really surprised about the Xbox One was at least riding off the high, this high of the 360, which created a lot of uh, Microsoft loyalists. But there, there's just not much of a reason to get an Xbox anymore if you can mm-hmm. afford to build a desktop. Because frankly, if you own a gaming PC, it's stupid to own an Xbox. <laughs> well, and I just think it's been so weird. Like, uh, like you've seen people make the arguments for the Xbox One back then. Well, it's not just about like raw performance. It's about all these other things. And it's like, right. So if it's not about raw performance, that's the only thing the Series X even tried to claim. And actually, most series sales are the Series S. So this isn't a console you get for more performance. So what was the point of getting the Series X? Like, how did the Xbox Series consoles actually fix the problems they had with Xbox One? The problem was not performance. It's never been performance any of these generations. Winning, and it's not even stronger than the PS5, as it turns out. Most recent games, you know, I guess Alan Wake was like one win for the Xbox, but 
generally speaking, they perform similar. Not on average, the PlayStation 5 maybe wins 6 out of 10. But I guess more often than not, I shouldn't say 6 out of 10. It's usually the same performance between them. Um, and you can't help but look at this and go, I think I saw this too. Like Xbox One had more exclusives. Like there's just not a reason to get the Series X. So yeah. it's crazy to watch happen, but you know, there it well, is. I, I mean, they can't reinvigorate themselves with new uh, with new series and their old series are pretty stale for most people now, I think. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, and Game Pass is, I know people talk about it online, but I think the community has spoken. It's not a system seller. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, that's not what, well, you know, what people want games that work well and faster and on an established platform. And if you're not going to deliver that, all of these other bags of tricks is not what it's ever been about. Um, all right. We have NFC, which is a YouTube channel that's in front of the show, made a micro PlayStation 5. There's not much to say. I just like really plugging this channel because they make really cool custom chassis and stuff mm-hmm. for not just PCs, also apparently consoles. Um, someone flagged this for me. I don't have anything to say about it, but something about Unreal Engine 5 working on much more efficient multi-threading performance. We've seen Unreal Engine 5 of really bizarre CPU performance, especially in some demos over the past year. Mm-hmm. I have people suggesting to me they're going to fix this soon. So oh, I just that's I'd good. That. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is it? Oh, <laughs> I don't need to dwell on this, but... Uh, Call of Duty is banning GeForce Now players. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I guess we talked about that with AMD uh, two episodes ago, probably, or two news episodes yeah. ago, probably. And, yep, there's uh, people have a point that it's just these companies have trash. Uh, DRM. <laughs> anti-cheating shit. Yeah, which I, I'd say the anti-lag plus thing was worse. But, yeah, still, it you can't claim now that it doesn't happen to everyone sometimes uh or to non-amd products sometimes um now you you sent me this one dan lenovo seeks to halt sale of asus laptops over alleged patent infringement so you sent me this one for the wrap-up is this a is this a real thing that's going to happen or what do you is this just i I mean i I think it's a big deal if they manage to successfully get the zen i think yeah the zen book uh line of laptops off of the market and um i i mean the two big patents that the asus i mean lenovo is claiming asus violated are the ability to scroll for, diagonally from any position on the touchpad i guess is patented by lenovo and mm-hmm. their hinge design uh for their uh yoga books uh, also, like automatically moves the keyboard uh, into the correct position, and they're claiming that Asus stole that design from them as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, I hope it's a more patent trolly behavior than anything. But I mean, I think it's a big deal, <laughs> right? So it's not like is there a real alleging here that Asus stole stole something, or just that they're doing stuff similar to them that they've bet? You know? From what it sounds like to me. It, Lenovo has been trying to get them to stop using this technology for that they've developed for a while now, and I don't. I'm not sure if it's just parallel thinking or if it is they actually stole mm. their designs. Yes, that'd be up to a court of law to decide. But yeah, I guess again, we don't have a full story's worth of a conversation on this one. But uh, yeah, I'm reading more of it here. Lenovo. I don't. I guess we'll see. If this does happen, this would be a huge deal. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. You sent me a GTA 6 clip. Uh, I mean, a 
tweet here. What I don't know anything about this. What? Oh, one. I just wanted to basically remind you that GTA Six was coming out. <laughs> oh, I know. the The trailer drops on Tuesday, and I just think it's funny that like six or so other companies all released identical marketing material to release their trailers at the same day. So I guess. I guess next week is going to be an event for game announcements because I, I, I suppose I guess uh, Rockstar making a new game now is its own E3. <laughs> Can I also point out that it's hilarious how the art looks the frickin' same? Yeah, it's all games. identical marketing material. This is one of those fair arguments for AI where they're like, "Well, AI makes all of the stuff that looks this makes everything look the same." Well, here's real people make I assume making Warzone, Halo Infinite, Fall Guys, and GTA Six marketing material that all looks the same. Well, they are probably directly uh, copying GTA's material to, because they want to make it a cohesive event and ride on the coattails of Rockstar announcing another game because that's always an event. <laughs> You th- you think they actually want it? Oh, you're saying they literally are doing it. Like this is a tongue in cheek. They're trying to make it look the same thing. Yeah. No. Oh. Would you say that's insulting, or it's actually just them tipping the hat? I think it's them tipping the hat. Me too. I would agree. <laughs> but uh, I guess yeah, you're right. And I included this too when you sent it to me because it's like an excuse to bring it up. We will not be talking about any of these trailers or nor the GTA Six thing. Uh, when this episode comes out because it missed the cut but i'm sure we'll have a lot to say about gta 6 soon we thought gta 5 was very 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 good yeah i mean rockstar makes a 10 out of 10 game every five years so that's what i'm expecting for this yeah it'll be i'll be we will be excitedly watching it just not talking (laughs) about it in this episode all right now let us move on to the final reader mails dark helmet writes and he says hi tom hello dark helmet been watching for a couple years and I just joined. Keep up the good work. Is it possible that some of the higher idle power usage of RDNA 3s would be replaced? In desktop usage, wouldn't they be able to get off portions of the compute die to not be used? Oh, I believe I've already talked answered this question. I think we accidentally put this in here. It was in another episode, but I'll bring I'll answer it again just because I keep seeing people mention this. Yes, I think chiplets could lead to higher power consumption. I think when you look at Meteor Lake, actually, I'm glad I brought it up now because I can yeah. say this. I've had people directly suggest to me in the past two weeks that part of Meteor Lake's power consumption problems at high usage, and even in some low usage scenarios where you need more than the two low power E cores on the SOC die, but not necessarily a lot more than that, that, yeah, the fact that you have to turn on a whole chiplet on and off wastes energy. Yeah, so, that's that's going to be the concerning thing is if that's well optimized, because that could be a huge power waster if it's not. And when people, again, when people say, wait, but you can turn off chiplets to save energy, guys, Rembrandt already turns off parts of the die. You don't need chiplets to turn off parts of a die. You don't need chiplets to turn off parts of a die. Mm-hmm. So the reason Intel would have put SOC cores on the SOC is so they don't have to turn on the chiplet as often. It's not something you couldn't have just turned on like one CCX or something. Or, you know, like there's ways you could have done this before or just put SOC core, one SOC core on the SOC and not even have more chiplets. So... Yeah, I, chiplets are inherently less efficient than a golden sample of a monolithic design. And mm-hmm. the smaller the die gets, the more golden samples you get. And so I think I think that I have a real concern here that Meteor Lake will be hyper-efficient when you're doing literally nothing, and then also kind of more efficient at 95 watts. But in the middle, it actually might not have a benefit. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this Jansen writes, and it says, Zen has dense cores where the same architecture is optimized for a space, often sacrificing clock speed. Is something like that possible for RDNA? And in what way would that change the chip's performance? Yes, and you could almost argue RDNA 3 did do that. Um, a lot of the method, and anybody talked about this publicly, a lot of the methodologies that went into making Zen 4 more dense, not just because it has less cash, but they literally tried to make the cores more dense by moving everything they could. They did the same with RDNA 3, and it may have actually been a mistake because RDNA 3 was supposed <laughs> to hit 3.2 gigahertz or even 3.5 and mm-hmm. some lofty of goals, and it only really hits 3 gigahertz mm-hmm. effectively. And even then, it usually doesn't because it uses a lot of energy to get there. Um, I, I But the answer is absolutely yes, that you can do that. And in fact, um, Sony's been doing dense versions of every architecture on their console since, well, since they used AMD. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. why do you think... Um, uh, the PlayStation 4 Pro has double the ROPs of Polaris, but then doesn't clock as fast as Polaris. It's some weird hybrid architecture that w- packed a lot of compute into a smaller space than it needed to. Um, and that's how they decided to go about doing it with their weird Vega Polaris hybrid that was also dense. You know, So yeah, you can always do that and you see them doing that all the time. Uh, Big, Hef- Big Jeff B writes and says, Hey, Dom and Tan, uh, let me see here. With the talks and now teardowns of PS5 Portal and the recent statements about a Steam Deck 2 from Valve, do you believe that is an AMD chip that could be as strong as the PS5 or close to that in a handheld factor like a Steam Deck or such? With recent links from Sony and Valve, it seems like they don't believe that the chip would be around anytime soon. Um, I mean, yeah. The Strix Halo. Strix Halo, I mean, has more compute units than the PS5, so... Mm-hmm. And it's a newer architecture. I mean, I'm not going to make take my bets on where it's going to fall stronger or weaker than the ps5 but i i could see it being stronger (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah or at least being comparable and lower resolutions it'd probably be stronger because you know performance can mean all different types of things but playstation 5 will of course have a bandwidth advantage though well probably i don't know there's infinity cache actually maybe not um so yeah yeah, it should be about as strong as the ps5 the only thing i would say is as he says handheld form factor um strix halo at 120 watts, I believe it was, is supposed to have 16 cores and 40 compute units. And at least, in, now this is now like a one-year-old document by now. This original Strix Halo leak was a while ago. But the document I saw clearly delineated that they would have like a 20 compute unit model that's like 20, like 15 watts or 25 watts, and that they would have a, like a 30, I forgot what it was, but like they were, you know, so it's like, yeah, the 40 compute unit model beats the PS5, but is that going to ever fit in a handheld no, and even their documents yeah. clearly said they weren't even going to bother to do this like Z1 Extreme thing with it. It just yeah, I, I mean, I think slow. I think ultimately the successor to what is it's Z1, right? Whatever, whatever they're how they're selling their APUs to uh, Steam Deck competitors, that's just going to be Halo. I mean, a Strix point and not Strix Halo. I think <laughs> right, and so that means thirty fifty performance at best, and so. Um, so I mean, the successor which, to Strix would be something where maybe we'd get close, but again, in a handheld at 50. So what do you mean by handheld? Do you mean like 30 Watts or 50 Watts? Cause some of these <laughs> handhelds have 10 minute battery lives and they light your hand on fire and break the USB ports when they get hot. But you know, if we're talking actually like 10 Watts, I don't think until the late Zen six or Zen 6 Plus or some Zen 6 successor is mm-hmm. at 10 watts. At 25 or 30 watts, you could you could see something that... Well, look, 
Strix Point will probably be able to do PS5 light gaming, but it actually won't be as high quality. And I, I think you'll be able to emulate it sooner, but directly, no, I don't think for a few, a few years now. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, Techno writes in and he says, if you had to be in charge of a GPU company or division, would you rather be in charge of Moore's Threads? No. Intel? No. Or NVIDIA or AMD? Probably NVIDIA. They have the most money. Yeah, I think that's a pretty easy answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say, Techno. That's not to say that I like NVIDIA GPUs more than AMD. I don't necessarily. I like individual products and I like these things from most of these companies, except Intel hasn't impressed me lately. And Morris Threads seems like a junk company. <laughs> what did they? Um, oh, them. Okay. I forgot. Yeah. Who. So, I mean, who would I want to be in charge of? I, I mean, probably NVIDIA because they have the most money to spend. And that's literally the reason. Um, I think AMD can make whatever they want to if they spend the money. It's just if they choose to or think it's, again, do you make a high end RDNA 4 chip or save money? launch a high-end RDNA 5 sooner, and then that money you save, too, you can make another APU. That's why AMD is doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And we do, it's too soon to say if NVIDIA can really compete with AMD and chiplets. So far, they they could argue they're choosing not to. But until I see AMD crush NVIDIA with a chiplet GPU, NVIDIA's argument that it's a choice, you can defend it. Like they're winning. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't claim that NVIDIA has made the wrong choice by not going with chiplets yet mm-hmm. on GPU. You can't. They're doing fine. So, uh, maybe not as well as they're reporting they're doing, but, you know, they're doing fine. And so, any if the argument was, would you rather like play with NVIDIA's IP or AMD's chiplets? I think either of them, there's multiple ways to skin a cat and you could have fun with either one, but otherwise just give me the money and I'll just make crazy <laughs> stuff. That's why I choose NVIDIA right now. But it it would be close between NVIDIA and AMD and the other two aren't even in the same solar system. Yeah. Um, uh, Quick Jumper writes and he says, hello, Tom. In this news article I found on semiwiki.com, revenue of the top companies in semiconductor computing are analyzed. For me, it's interesting how NVIDIA and AMD are very close in R&D spending. Intel, on the other hand, is seemingly spending three times that of AMD with somewhat dismal results, couldn't we say? What's your opinion on R&D spending between AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA? Easy. NVIDIA is spending R&D on less things, and they seem to be very good at executing the products they get out, hence why they're winning when they're competing in those industries. AMD, on the other hand, tends to spend their R&D very well, as far as we can tell, but they are competing in way more segments than NVIDIA is, hence they're stretched thinner. And Intel, Intel is a company of over 100,000 people, I think, still. I don't know if they've laid yeah, off enough are. yet. Yeah, still over, at least reported, over yeah. 100,000 people. And uh, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, I guess the analogy I'm going to make is like why, like we saw the movie Napoleon recently, like why in a lot of great wars against Russia did they inevitably win one when they fell back within their country? It's because, well, Intel's like Russia in terms of like all the stuff they have. <laughs> and it's hard to defend a big border. Like me and Dan play Age of Empires 4 almost every night. And it's like, we immediately try to get it. We like to fight against the AI. We go into a corner. Like we can try to control more resources. But if you do, you only win. Actually, and this was a game we played the other night. What happened, Dan? They broke through. And we you said it would be silly to try to defend all of these walls, what we'll do is we'll fall back behind our borders, let them get surrounded and take too long and bog down, and then crush them. 
that's the problem with Intel. Intel's still trying to win. Intel, and I've heard people say this, Intel doesn't know how to be number two. They only know how to be number one. And so they're still spending all of this R&D trying to beat NVIDIA, who's only spending it on less stuff, and against well, AMD, who's spending it on less, who's spending it on very specific stuff that's executed well. And I honestly think Intel still needs to cut half of their stuff and I only mean, focus on less because they cannot afford to try to hold their borders or you're going to lose the war. I, I mean, what is it? Like, look at all the crap they spend money on. Like, Ponavecchio was a huge thing they advertised, and that never really went anywhere to my memory. <laughs> I mean, it's in like a customer supercomputer, but yeah, it took yeah. way too long and it really isn't that impressive. And then also you have to... You have to uh, point out, though, that it's not a complete one-to-one comparison with Intel and AMD because no. NVIDIA and AMD versus Intel because Intel also isn't a fabulous company. And I'm assuming a lot of that R&D budget is mm-hmm. them more competing with TSMC and, and Samsung than them competing Right, because they're really NVIDIA competing with NVIDIA, AMD, and TSMC. But if you say that, you go, well, maybe it was silly to try to compete with NVIDIA and graphics at the same time you're trying to compete with AMD and TSMC. Especially in a point where your other two mar- the two markets that you're trying to hold on to, you're stagnating. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, how is this possible? That is how they're trying to defend a much larger border. And, the, and not only are they trying to do that, but they have decided to try to beat AMD and NVIDIA and graphics cards well, they're losing in their other markets. That's I think that was a mistake. Oh yeah, there's just no way around it. Or if you're gonna if you're gonna go for certain stuff, do it surgically. They're not. They're trying to be everything, claiming they'll be an enthusiast graphics card maker, the best gaming server, laptop chips. They should focus on one aspect of the laptop, server, one aspect of GPU, not everything, because they clearly just can't do it all at once Mm -hmm. and they're going to have to spend more than all of them to beat all of them even because the others are going to have more focus even if they spend less yeah um i mean i thought that was a good question to answer there and that is also the last question that i have in this episode and dan you managed to get through it without falling asleep i did it (laughs) so i guess we won't waste any more of your time than we need to um and thank you to everybody for watching for listening remember subscribe to moore's laws dead on youtube i think it says over half of our subscriber of our viewers right now are not subscribed and you know we have videos doing hundreds of thousands of views so what the h what's i mean let's go Eighty thousand of you or something get in here and subscribe it really does help the channel a lot it does i've seen people say it doesn't matter it does it helps the algorithm if we're gaining subs YouTube recommends our videos more often. Sponsors are nicer to us and let me not, like, there's less arguing. They're like, oh, you have all these subs. We'll put the ad wherever you want. We'll have less ads, shorter ads. Subscribe to Moore's Lives Out on YouTube. Bring that bell button so you don't miss upcoming content. And consider supporting us on Patreon. We have a new die shrink just came out, over one hour video, looking at motherboard support for the next few years, looking back at AM4. There's tons of awesome die shrinks and other pieces of content on there as well that never have any ads. You also ask us questions, ask me and Dan questions, free questions for live streams. It's all out there. There's also a catalog of like other podcasts that I've done that you can listen to as well. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for watching and listening. Dan, any last words? Uh, No, I don't think so. I didn't sneeze as much as I thought I would, so that's good. Well, let us know in the comments uh, if if Dan sneezed too much. Okay. All right. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. 
Moore's Law is dead, and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well, you can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Z Jits, Daniel D, Ian Clifford, Aaron Close, Jan Rauner, Daniel High, Jeezy Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Sam Miller, Deke, SNES Chalmers, Nicholas Buckner, Jam Ferriera, Valcom Alev, Jensen Wang, Andrew S, Gregor Sacker, Estar Castro, Evan Dingle, Hartforum.com, Chris Rich, Ronchek, 3AS Boy08, Hal Buma, Compressed Earthblocks, Shredbird, Dr. Forbin, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Blank, Frank Frederick, Owen Mobley, Jake Dude, 23, Jake Martin, Sammy Malas, Silky, Jordan Simkovic, Stefan Hart, William Leake, Meat and Pork, The Boss Haas, Tim Robb, Penta Winta, Travis Gooding, Stefan, Mads, Susu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Roger Davies, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Grow, Amiable Chief, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Aishan, Mark Rainmaker, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Johnson, and Chrysantine, Colin Tadards, The Eternal Dreamers, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Neith Rizink, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Hexapuma, Toka, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Gaming Since Reagan, Jeff Sandler, Loophole35, Windstar, James I, Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay, Milton, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, 
Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711700K, 11, Jamie Witters, Joe Foot, Hardland, Slushbaugh, C2, My Sharona, Earth Taurus, Jensen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Himsa Gung, Tails2299, Neil Vale, Vera, John, Fenty CC, Sisyphos, The Forbidden Juice, Per Leachman, RB Racer, AC, Richard Caldo, Win Wang, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Matt, Alex Vega, Freedy, Bright Wright, John Schwinn, Jola Martina, Kikum, Elbergun, Solarize Zadie, Thalo215, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Rennick1982, Jeff Johnson, Rowan McKicky, Cornster671, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.